Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's episode is a repost of an interview that I did on the Kayim Interviews Podcast. You may know him from his YouTube channel if you are into drums at all, or you know if you've Googled any kind of like metalcore band, then there's a very good chance that one of his drum cam videos came up for that band. His channel is sitting at about 40,000 subscribers right now. He's been doing it for a few years, so he knows how the YouTube game works. So that's mostly what we talked about, like the challenges and opportunities of running a YouTube channel, like what works, how do you figure out what kind of content you should and shouldn't do, how do you experiment with stuff, what do you do when something does or doesn't work. It was technically an interview with me, but I think of it more as a conversation between two people who both run decent sized YouTube channels. So if you're interested in the inside baseball of being a creator, then you're gonna like this one. Make sure you check out his channel if you haven't. You can find it at KM Interviews. It's C-A-Y-E-M Interviews. Oh, and if you want to support the show, which we hope you do, always grateful but never expected, there's a few things you can do. Number one is you can share the show on your social media. Tag me, tag the guest, tag Deanna. The platforms don't really do much in terms of marketing, like helping people find the show. So it really helps a lot when you can share it. Number two, if you really like us, you can buy some merch. There's a link to that in the show notes. Number three, if you really, really like us, you can support us on Patreon. Patrons get access to every show a week early. There's an opportunity to have me review your band or your graphic design portfolio or your podcast or any other kind of project that you wanna send my way. And it is because of your support that we are able to do this podcast. That is how we pay Deanna, our producer. And speaking of Deanna, if you've got a podcast and you want to do it bigger and better, or maybe you've been thinking about starting a podcast, you're not sure where to start, get in touch with her. She's awesome. She will help you out. There's a link to her information in the show notes as well. And with that out of the way, let's get into the show. So I am here with Finn McKenty from the Punk Rock MBA. This is uh, the Kime Interviews podcast, and I am super stoked to have you. Um, for those of you that don't know Finn, he is an awesome YouTuber that has a lot more subscribers than me. <laughs> and he's, not a contest. <laughs> no, totally not. Totally not. And I just love how informative you are. So I, I definitely admire your work and uh, look up to it very, very much. So if you can just give fans like a brief overview, if they don't have an idea of who you are, kind of let them know uh, your background and how you got into YouTube and um, the metal slash hardcore punk community. Well, that would be a very long story to tell the whole thing. Uh, so to give you the short version, uh, I kind of grew up in the 90s hardcore scene uh, and have 
kind of been around ever since then, you know, as a fan, my career, I mostly worked in design and marketing. I did like, I worked at a product development agency for a while where we did like industrial design and engineering for stuff like Febreze and Swiffer were kind of the two big things that I worked on. Uh, I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch uh, doing design and marketing. So designed hundreds of Hollister t-shirts and then went over to factories in Asia to do like quality assurance type stuff, uh, which was pretty cool. I spent a lot of time in like China, Korea, Indonesia, a little bit in Japan. Uh, after that, I worked at an online education company called Creative Live that does online education for uh, creative folks like photographers, graphic designers, people like that. Did that for about four years uh, after that. I, I still am a partner in a company called URM Academy with some people that you guys may have heard of like A.L. Levy and Joey Sturgis. We teach people how to make music, how to produce music at home. And then in September of 2017, I think it was... No, uh, sorry, September 2018, I started uh, my YouTube channel just kind kind of as a way of building an audience for myself. You know, I always I just kind of wanted to prove to myself and to the world that I, that I could do it. You know, I mean, I'm, I think it's always a little, um, it's a little fishy when people say that they, you know, are great at content marketing or marketing in general, but they don't have any audience for themselves. Mm. There are certainly times when that's okay. I'm not saying that everyone in that situation is full of shit, but I would prefer not to be that person. So I said, well, I'm going to do this. And it took me a while. It took me about nine months or so before I got really any kind of traction at all. But since then, fortunately, it's been a, a wild ride, been growing quickly. I'm at about 225,000 subscribers now, which is crazy. I never thought I would get to that point. Uh, and if you haven't seen the channel, basically what I do is do my best to kind of explain trends in the world of you know, rock and metal and punk and hardcore and related kind of genres. Just try to explain why people like what they do and don't like what they don't like and have a little fun with it along the way. Yeah. And I, I love how informative it is because, you know, I'm like a huge Seosin fan. Like they're my, they're my number one favorite band. And that's how I actually came across your channel was the in-depth, um, you know, analysis that you did of Seosin. And it was really, really cool to just see it kind of broken down and explaining it in a way that I couldn't, but I knew like kind of just from an intuition of like that they were onto something, you know, genuine and, and intuitive from a long time before everyone else yeah. in post hardcore. So it was really, really cool to see that. I asked Bo, uh, you know, I know him fairly well. Uh, so, okay. You don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to be humble here. <laughs> Tell me if you agree with this. I think Seosin, I think I think all those post-hardcore bands are just ripping off what you guys did on the EP. Do you agree? And he said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder though, like how many post-hardcore bands think the same thing? You know, like I, I was watching your Ronnie Radke video and uh, you were kind of saying, you know, like that Escape the Fate had this kind of like glam rock sense, but you were saying, you know, earlier bands like Atreyu and Avenged Sevenfold did sort of the same thing. And I even watched a video of Ronnie Radke reacting to it. And he yeah. was like, yeah, totally different. Totally different. And I was it is like, different. yeah. And I was just like, okay. Like, I mean, you know, I do get that it is different because it was definitely more Motley Crue in, in that vein than Atreyu and Avenged Sevenfold was. Yeah. But I also thought it was hilarious that like, he's very quick to give himself credit uh, <laughs> in that area. <laughs> well, you don't get to be as, you know, successful as he is without believing in yourself. Yeah. Do you, do you think that like he is one of the most successful? I mean, you mentioned in the video, he's been relevant for 15 plus years, whatever. Do you think that he is, because I mean, in terms of longevity, I don't really know who's done it better than him in this whole, I guess, warp Tour alternative genre. 
I would say him and Bring Me the Horizon are probably, yeah. you know, the two and and maybe a day to remember from that kind of mm-hmm. era. Um, but as far as individuals, I mean, cause you know, falling in reverse is Ronnie, uh, mm-hmm. as far as individuals go. Yeah. I think, I think he's gotta be up there, especially because what's really amazing is in the past, maybe two years, he's seen this like big uptick in his like profile, which is crazy. Cause he's been making music for 15 years and it's very rare to see somebody have that kind of an uptick. So, you know, relatively late in their career. Yeah. And right now he's doing streaming and gaining like a a ton of subscribers. Dude, he has like, like 25,000 Twitch subscribers. He's got to be making like 50 grand a month from that. Yeah. He really knows what more. to do. Yeah. It's pretty insane. I'm like, dang, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, smart on him. I mean, Attila, um, you know, Franz from Attila, he's, he's been very smart in the marketing aspect of himself as a, as a personal, you know, uh, I guess identity in terms of like, you know, he's on like a, you know, he was on Patreon for a bit, I think. And then he was on, you know, cameo and he does, you know, only fans now. And like, he's very like on the cusp with these yeah. like kind of entrepreneurial, like these snowball effects where it's like, if you already have a following, you can already yeah. build a good one. And then it kind of skyrockets you into like the explore page or whatever yep. of that yep. app and kind of dominates that. So it's, it's really interesting. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's a smart guy too. Uh, I don't know that I would choose to do the same things that he does, but it's his <laughs> life, not mine. Yeah. I know Attila is a super controversial band and Franz, uh, you know, and so from so many people I know that have toured with them, they've said that, you know, like, Oh, like Franz isn't really the crazy party or he makes himself out to be like, you know, he's such a mellow guy. He's always with his kids, like stuff like that. It's super funny. I don't, I don't know him. I interviewed him years ago. I'll have him on my podcast mm-hmm. one of these days. I'm sure. I, I don't know him personally. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I think it'd be an interesting chat. Cause he's I mean, certainly a very smart guy. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Yeah. Him and Ronnie Radke both, um, intrigue me in terms of there's a deeper line meaning there that, um, fans just kind of like to throw like, you know, shit balls at, and they just don't understand, I guess what they're going for. Hey, as long as uh, your name is in their mouth, then you're winning. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that. So you you started. Did you start or did you work for Metal Sucks or think things things uh, I hate? I wrote for Metal Sucks for a while for s- several years. Um, okay. Yeah, and I also wrote for like Terrorizer and Substream and a little bit for Metal Injection and probably some other stuff I'm not thinking of. Okay. So was your success on those platforms kind of indicative to, uh, letting you know that, Hey, what I'm writing here, like a certain article goes viral and you're like, wait, if I made a video on this, this would have done really well. I could market it. Yeah, exactly. You know, at the, at the end of the day, the thing that makes a piece of content successful or not, you know, you've seen this, I'm sure is whether it creates some sort of emotional response in people, whether that is nostalgia or, you know, they're moved by it or they get angry. I mean, unfortunately, you know, anger is more often than not, you know, the thing that creates virality these days because everyone wants to rage click on things. But yeah, I mean, that's basically where I figured, I, didn't, I had a metal blog before that in like starting in like 2008 and I did fanzines as a kid. So I've been making content about this for, you know, 25 years. So from doing that, I had, a, you know, got a pretty good sense of kind of what, what emotionally resonates with people and what doesn't like you see people doing reviews and stuff. Nobody gives a shit about a review unless 
you have some sort of a point of view on it that creates an emotional response in them, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, all the guys I make fun of with their like poorly lit one take webcam rant videos, you know, black male brides are the gayest band of all time, you know, that kind of thing. But that's where we're at, especially in YouTube. YouTube is entertainment, you know, and people have to understand that it's in some entertainment is also informative, but if you just want to get in YouTube and you know, give your kind of uh, vanilla opinion on an album, I think you're going to have a really hard time getting traction on that because that is not particularly entertaining. And I'm not saying that that's good or bad. That's just sort of the nature of the platform. And, you know, that's true for bands too. I think people forget that this is the entertainment business in general. You got to entertain people because they have a lot of other options. You're competing with, you know, social media and video games and Netflix and all the other things that people could be doing with their time. Why should they give it to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting because I look at, when you talk about reviews, I immediately think of, you know, Anthony Fontana and obviously his reviews are highly critiqued, you know, and they're very critical, usually pretty negative. So I think that's interesting that, you know, and I always thought that was a part of his like kind of objective was, you know, being this like almost asshole uh, because it gets people to just rage in the comments. And that well, creates- I, yeah, to be clear, I don't think I think he's a really nice person. I, I don't know him mm-hmm. super well, but I talk to him fairly often. I think he's a really nice person. I, I don't think he ever goes. I, I can't speak for him, but I don't get the sense that he ever goes out of his way to like antagonize people. Uh, I think he's just gives his honest opinion and, you know, for better or for worse, a lot of people tie their identity to the music they consume. And so if you have a different opinion, uh, on music than they do, then they take that as a personal attack and get really angry. I think he's mm-hmm. a, actually a very, I think he's a very thoughtful, nice person. And, um, you know, as much as people might want to think that he's trying to antagonize them. I don't think he is. I think he's just giving you his fairly mild opinion. Like he doesn't scream and yell and rant. Like, Oh yeah, no, you know, his opinions are pretty mild. And if anybody gets angry at him because he doesn't like fucking whatever, like fill in the blank band as much as you do, then you need to maybe take a look in the mirror and ask yourself why you're getting emotional about some dude on the internet's opinion that you don't even know. Yeah, I think that um, his rating system is where people get like kind of TO'd like people. Well, specifically, I remember the the first time I'd ever even heard of his channel was he did like a Dance Gavin Dance review quite a while ago. Yeah. And he like rated it, I think, a one or something. And I was like, dang, that's pretty like that's pretty sad that he like rated it a one because I was just like, you know, I'm not even a huge DGD fan, dude. Like, don't I mean, I know you did a whole video on that and I'm sure, you know, the fan base is pretty rabid, but it was just so interesting to me because I was like, man, I'm not even like a big fan of this band. You know, I know them, but I'm not like, I'm not even like good friends with them or anything. And I was like, man, this is like sad that someone would rate it a one just because they're very like musically capable dudes, you know? But again, it is a mild review. He's not ripping it's just apart his opinion. There. Yeah. I mean, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't I mean, he hates him and I have the, the opposite taste in music. He hates everything I like. Really? You know, I mean, I like, I like Amir and Pantera and, you know, I mean, that's kind of, and that's what I'm into. And Cardi B, you know, he yeah. hates all that shit. <laughs> so what? Yeah. It's super funny, man. It's uh, and and that's the interesting part about music is you can have different opinions and that's you know chalk it up and and it's and really walk not away. that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, it's super funny. 
But I, I think that's an interesting point, though, that you bring up uh, controversy or, you know, I guess uh, something that does spark rage or an emotion, I guess, is really what we're going for at the end of the day is some sort of emotion. I'm yep. not sure exactly where my channel lines up in that, um, you know, perhaps maybe more so in like the nostalgia realm of like just wanting to see a band live or a drummer right at that. Yeah. Angle. And also, yes, well, th that's true. I think the emotion there is like, you have kind of a lot of drum videos, right? Yeah. Now it's mostly drum. I'm trying to pivot away from that. And that's, you know, is that because you're a drummer or just because yeah. that's where you happen to be standing? Okay. Yeah. So I made one drum cam, uh, for North lane. Cause I wanted to learn how to know the song. And then I just like saw this like huge, like spike in numbers. And I was like, what is going on? What did I hit? So Interesting. I, I was like, well, Hey, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep filming these, whether they're public or not, you yeah. know, cause it helps me as a drummer. And so then people were like begging on my YouTube channel, film more drummers, film more drummers. So I was like, all right, I'll do this. And then I simultaneously got to just know all my favorite drummers. So that was like super cool, you know? Well, I think what may be going on there is one of the emotional kind of angles that you can take is representing a, or, or I shouldn't say representing that's, that's not the right word to use speaking to a community that doesn't get spoken to very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, people don't care about the drummer. People don't care about the bassist. They care about the singer and maybe the guitarist, yeah. <laughs> you know, people don't typically care about the drummer, but there's a lot of drummers out there. So if you're serving an underserved group of people, they're going to be excited about that. So like, Oh my God, people care about the, like you care about the drummer. Nobody cares about the drummer. Yeah. Uh, so totally I think there's true. something to be said for that. I mean, for me, that's a lot of my videos like sales and one for, I, I would say is a good example. Of that is like, it's for a band that's sold. I would I think they've sold over a million albums in total. Oh yeah. For, for a band that sold a million records, there's literally not another video on YouTube about them like that, mm -hmm. which is bizarre. Yeah. And they have so much, I mean, they're just such a talented band. And, and in my opinion, I just don't think they make them like that anymore. You know, like I could just sound like an old timer, but I just feel like back then bands knew everything. Like everyone in the band was very capable of multiple things. And now I feel like you have like a bass player that like barely knows how to play his instrument sometimes, or a guitar player that barely knows how to play his parts, or a, even a drummer that barely knows how to play his parts. And you're like, how did this happen? And I don't know. Seosin to me was just a different breed of like just talent and just doing really well at a very, you know, vulnerable time for post hardcore and kind of creating that. So it was a moment in time. My favorite video of yours, I'm pretty sure it's yours is the, uh, the Amir one, because mm -hmm. that is when I realized that he plays the left lead. Yeah, dude. Uh, On a right-handed kit. Yeah, I, I think that's I asked him about that one time, too, because I told him I was like, man, uh, you know, people were mentioning this in the comments, but I do the same thing because I think a lot of drummers can just pick up bad habits when they yeah. like, you know, learn by visual or audio instead of like, you know, uh, classically trained or whatever. Yeah. So he was just like, yeah, sometimes it's just faster. Sometimes I just feel like it's more natural and I have to like he's like, sometimes I screw myself and I end up le like leading with my left and like I make this awkward like foot pattern. But he was like telling me that, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of a bad habit, but I make do, you know, cause he's an insanely good drummer. Josh Dude, is, he's so good. Like, yeah. I don't really like watching bands that much just cause I'm so burned down on it. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw them last year and it was fucking amazing. And like, oh, yeah. I never say that about bands. And a lot of that was him. Cause I think there is something to like, because he can play 
on both sides, he can play grooves that a lot of other people wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that is sort of uniquely suited to the, because they programmed all the drums, like on look at yourself, mm-hmm. um, without really regard to how a person would play them. I think you need to be a very versatile drummer in order to do that. You know, people like him or Josh Manuel, where you like play this yeah. and they're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. People are, I guess, uh, I'm trying to think of the term. It's like, I think open-handed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like people are just really talented at doing it multiple different ways. And you know, the, the better you can do that, the better suited you're going to be for anything that gets thrown your way. So yeah, there's super talented. And it looks cool too. Oh yeah. It looks awesome. It looks cool to like play the hi-hat with your left hand. It just looks cool. Yeah. It just looks cooler. So people are always like, Oh, like, why is he playing like that? You know, like I'll show videos to my girlfriend and she'll be like, wait, why is he doing that? And I'm like, Oh, look, okay. Like, cause he can. Yeah. Cause he can. It's just different. Um, but yeah, I, I love, I love Josh and he's, he's a solid drummer and it's really cool seeing these different complexities within my community of drummers that I film. And it's been super fun. Super, super fun. Yeah. What point did you realize that your YouTube channel was serving an untapped market? And like, what, what was that? So you, you saying in hindsight, the Seosin video definitely was, but at what point did you make a video and you're like, this is untapped. I need to keep going with this. Uh, the very first one, which wasn't a huge video, but it was big for me at the time as I made a video about, um, do you remember when Lil Uzi Vert went to that faceless show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made a video about that, like the day after it happened. And mm-hmm. I got a couple thousand views on that in a day, which for me at that time was, I mean, you know how it is like when you're getting oh, yeah. 10 views in a day and then you get, you know, 2,400 in a day, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. That's a big, deal. uh, yeah. So that's when I kind of realized, Oh, I, I can talk about this in a way that not many other people are. Mm, that's so awesome. And so you, did you think that that was like, cause that was more, I feel like, was that more like news style reporting or did you want to go more in the vein of like, cause I, I've thought about doing videos like that too. Like almost like, um, you know, breaking news for the metalcore alternative genre. Did you think that that was like, you could replicate that? Were you worried about that or no? uh, It was news and I don't do news. I wish I, I wish that I could. I just, I I can't, I have Mm -hmm. two other jobs. So, you know, for me to be able to just drop whatever I'm doing and crank out a video in three hours is not (laughs) possible. But what I did there wasn't just like, Hey, this happened. Let me read you the Instagram comments. I reported it. And then because I had been thinking and talking a lot with my wife about at that time, it was a pretty new thing for rappers to kind of, you know, cross over with, you know, metal and hardcore and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. at that time, you know, the narrative was, Oh, he doesn't really like this stuff. And so I kind of went into more detail. It's like, well, I don't think if you end up at a fucking faceless show, I don't think you're a tourist of all bands. You know what I mean? Like if you wanted to impress yeah. people with how cool you are, that's not the band you would choose. Not, I mean, I like them, but yeah. you know what I mean? It's not like normies are going to be impressed that you want to see the faceless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was talking about this, like, you know, like playboy Cardi has a bad religion tattoo. And he was like, well, if, if he doesn't like bad religion, he sure uh, is dedicated to pretending <laughs> you got a fucking tattoo. I know for real. Um, so I kind of, it was more than just, reporting the news, I was kind of saying that here's the latest example of this, this thing that's happening in culture Mm -hmm. and why I think it's interesting and important and why I think people are thinking about this in a dumb way. 
Yeah, I really, really um did you did you know I'm sure you know that Post Malone is pretty you know, he has his ear to the ground, I guess, in metalcore specifically and also like a little bit of hardcore. Did you know yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I almost got him once to do guest vocals for Sworn In at Warp Tour. Oh, that's funny. It was so crazy. Back in the day when he wasn't as massive, I mean, he was still a big deal. Like, it was still a pretty big deal. Like, people were coming up to me at Warped Tour being like, dude, is he coming? Is he coming? Yeah. But, I mean, it was like, he, like, tweeted back to me and stuff and was like, oh, yeah, like, I'll fuck up Snake Eyes. Like, I'll do that. (laughs) I was like, dude, oh, my gosh. But it, I guess, didn't end up happening. I guess Tyler Denon got his number, texted him, and then, I guess, kind of got ghosted or something like that. But that... Sounds about right. <laughs> but it's just super funny. Well, anyways, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your zine. So did you start with photo or was that more of a design project where you would collaborate with photographers back in when you first started making zines? Uh, well, f- to, to, let me just kind of step back. For anyone who doesn't know what a zine is, this is like back in the 80s and 90s. I started doing it in the 90s. It's just a DIY magazine that you produce yourself, like usually photocopied. Sometimes you would actually get them professionally printed, but usually they'd just be photocopied. That's how I started. I eventually got mine printed, but started out with just photocopied. This being like 1993, 94, 95, whatever, printing photographs was not easy. Mm. Like, first of all, nobody had a camera. So even getting a picture of a band that you like was really hard. Like I listened to bands for years without ever knowing what they looked like because nobody ever took a picture of them. That's so funny. Or if they did, like it was just some girl in Michigan had this picture in her photo album. It's like there was nowhere to distribute them. Yeah, that makes sense. And then even if you did have it, just without getting into the sort of technical details of printing, there's certain things you have to, there's a thing called half toning that you used to have to do in order to reproduce a photo like in print. Like basically you turn it into a bunch of little dots and that was expensive and hard to do back then. So I did have some photos in my zines and that was actually pretty rare back then. And it was hard and it took me, I had to like trade those through the mail with people, you know, to get photos of these bands. And like, I mean, to this day, the bands that I like the zine I did in like 1996 or something, I don't think anybody's ever released probably not, not, until now I ever collected photos of all those bands in the same place before. Cause it was that hard. Um, and I'm not saying that to like, Oh, you kids now, but like <laughs> it just, it, it really was legitimately just so much more difficult. Like now mm-hmm. it's so easy when I'm making a video, if I just want to find a picture of a guy holding a snake, I'll just Google <laughs> guy holding a snake and I'll find a picture of it in two seconds, yeah. you know, compared to how it used to be. So I think it's important when people complain about the algorithm or, this or the, you know, they're always complaining. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, this shit is all free. It's never perfect. There's always, you know, there's always hurdles that any creator has to get over. But the fact that you can make this shit, like if you, if you have a smartphone, you have everything you need to start a YouTube channel mm-hmm. and all the platforms are free. The software is free. Everything's fucking free in a way that is just insane to me. Like I had to pay thousands of dollars and I was like 17 to print Dang. my zines. Dang you know, and then I had to sell them through the mail, you know, and go to the post office and ship things to fucking Singapore, you know, and it would cost back then it would cost like three or $4 to mail a zine to Singapore. Now it's probably 10 or something. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to rather than focus on the negatives and sort of convince yourself that 
the world's out to get you and everything's terrible and rah, rah, rah. Just focus on the opportunities that you have instead of the obstacles is, I guess, where I'm headed with this. Yeah. So, I mean, that describes a little bit of how the scene was different back in the 90s. I also wanted to ask a little bit how specifically Seattle was different back in that time. I mean, Kurt Cobain from that area, obviously, Nirvana and grunge was huge. What made you gravitate more towards punk and hardcore in the 90s, especially in Seattle? Well, I guess maybe to give people perspective on it now, the grunge audience back then would be comparable to like, I don't know, let's say Drake's audience now. Mm-hmm. Like, like everyone. Yeah. They have nothing to do with like hardcore. Yeah. Other than the fact that they both played guitars and, you know, I, I understand that Kurt Cobain liked some punk and stuff like that, but like we think of those things as related now, but they weren't at that time really. Yeah. Um, and you know, they'd play stadiums and shit, you know, and hardcore shows were at somebody's house. I didn't really like any grunge at the time. I liked, well, I liked Nirvana. Um, I, I, I can appreciate some of that stuff now, but I just, I don't like it. It's butt rock to me for the most part. Got it. Okay. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> you know, like, like Pearl Jam stuff. I can't stand that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so musically, it wasn't interesting to me. Culturally, not interesting to me. And, you know, anything that I'm into, like, I want to participate in it. And you can't participate in, like, like let's say you're a fan of Disturbed. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Disturbed, but, like, yeah, you can't participate in that. It's like you're a consumer. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, culture. There's no DIY culture around that where, like, if you're, like, I like disturbed. How do I get involved? It's like, yeah, buy their shit. Yeah. Have them sign your boobs. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, and you know, and I'm not putting that down. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just for my personality type. I want to be a participant in the thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what punk and hardcore is all about is, you know, that you can participate. So if you want to, it's like, I was, I mean, I didn't know anybody. I wasn't cool, but mm-hmm. I was just like, well, nobody is talking about these bands that I like. So I'm going to start a zine where I talk about them. Yeah. That's so awesome. And I think this is a new, um, when you talk about DIY being part of the band or working with the band in some, some form, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you have the, the end of the spectrum where you're saying you had to do all this stuff with, you know, mailing photos back and forth and spending a lot of money for postage and all this, you know, making it a hassle for you. And, um, I look back at when I was, you know, just getting into like a Treyu and Avenged Sevenfold and whatnot. That's kind of my starting point mm-hmm. in like the 04, 05 era. And I think it's really interesting that even back then, there was still very little I could do to work with the band. Because I remember being obsessed with the Treyu, wanting to do things. And I didn't even meet the band until I was doing journalism in 2000. 13 or whenever they came back. I think it was 2013 or something. And so I never even got to meet them as like their biggest fan ever. And again, to the, to the photo search thing, like I would literally Google search like these pixelated shitty images and like print them out and put them all in my room. It's just so funny how, um, this, this, uh, relationship with fans and their bands have only come a little bit, you know, or they've come a long way in just a little bit in, in more recent years. Yeah. You and, can DM anybody, you know, yeah. and who knows whether they'll read it or reply, but it's a channel. It's there. 
Yeah, it's pretty insane how things have shifted and how you can be so much more interactive with it. Yeah, like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, there's a million ways you can contact an artist now and get an, a response within minutes. It's pretty yeah. insane. So, First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. All right. So uh, one thing I want to talk about is, um, so I, again, back to your sales and video or videos like it. Um, how much research are you putting into these um, subjects that you tackle? Or um, I guess, is it, do you mo mostly handle subjects that you already know a lot about and kind of formulate that? How does that work when you're recording uh, these videos? Well, it's, it's more of the second, like I don't research exactly because mm -hmm. like I, there's a, for some reason it, that word annoys me in this context, because it's not like I'm, uh, what's the right way to put it? That, that sort of implies that I'm like talking about something that I'm don't, that I wasn't but, already familiar with or something. Yeah. 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 And that's not the case. And I only mentioned that not because like not because I care that people think I know a lot about this stuff or whatever, because I just want to be clear about that you're why not pandering. I talk that you're not pandering. Right. 
Right. I just want to be clear about why I talk about the things I talk about. It's because I like the, the research that I do is not so much research. It's more just like trying to very clearly articulate the sort of muddy thoughts in my head. Like you said, you sort of, you already knew like, Oh, Samson was like kind of a special thing at that time. Mm -hmm. And you probably vaguely already sort of thought all the stuff that I said in my video is my guess or most of it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's just like, how do you articulate that? Take it from like this sort of fuzzy thought in your head and turn it into a really clear statement that you can put out there and say, this is what I think, agree or disagree. Mm -hmm. Um, And so actually the most helpful part of the whole thing is I usually talk about this stuff with my wife. I'll say, hey, let me tell you, I'm working on a video about this. Tell me what you think. And she'll usually help me kind of, you know, just by explaining, she'll just ask the right questions and just help me like, turn it into something that's really tight and, you know, basically five paragraph essay kind of format, like in high school, that's the most important part of it. The research is just like little facts here and there. Just, I would say it's fact checking more than it is Mm. research. Okay. Um, like just to make sure, and I fuck it up sometimes, but to make sure that I know what year this thing came out or how it charted or who played drums on this one. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's just fact checking. Um, the, the research that I do that is more meaningful is I, I, I try to talk to somebody who was involved with it, whether they were in the band or worked with them or something like that. Like, you know, like for that one, I talked to Bo, um, and it's his band. And, you know, if anybody wants to say it's other than what I said, I go, well, you're entitled to your, to your opinion, but, (laughs) Uh, talking to the guy who started yeah. the band. So I don't know the what source. to tell you. <laughs> or, you know, it could be there's, there's, a, and I don't want to name names because I don't know if they, you know, would want me to, but some of the other videos I've made, I, I might know their A&R or someone at their label or, mm-hmm. you know, someone who uh, was friends with their manager or something. And I'll say, Hey, this is how I remember it going down. Is that right? And they'll be like, yeah, pretty much. But you know, there's one other thing so-and-so did this or that. And I'll go, Oh yeah. Okay. That's good. Mm. Um, so that's, that's the kind of research that I would do is more about not to say that I already go into it with like my mind made up because sometimes I do change my mind, but it's more about like really clearly supporting the idea that I already had and making sure that I've really built up a good case for that than it is like sort of deciding what I think, if that makes sense. And this comes from like, this comes from being on the debate team in high school. I was on debate team for like three years and I took it really seriously. Like I went to debate <laughs> camp in the summer and stuff. That's awesome. Um, you know, I competed in tournaments all over the state and stuff. And, uh, everything I do is based like if anybody out there ever did debate, everything that I do is based on the cross X debate case format. You know, if you look it up, look up cross examination debate case and you'll see it. There's like a very particular kind of format for how you. So the way it works is like every year there's a resolution. For example, like when I was a senior in high school, the resolution was resolved. The United States should substantially change its foreign policy towards the United States or towards Mexico. Mm. Uh, And so you sort of flip a coin and then you either have to be the affirmative that supports the resolution Mm -hmm. or the negative team that that argues against whatever the affirmative team suggests as a plan. And you don't know before every round, whether you're going to be affirmative or negative. So you have to be ready for both. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is just, uh, I, I sort of come up with my own resolution and I make a debate case to support it. And that's a video. Mm-hmm. 
That's super interesting. That, that's a very methodical way of going against it. So, so now we just, what we need to know is we just need um, a second channel from you of you going against what you said in the, in your original video. Oh, I told you, know, that's actually, you know what? That's a good idea. Devil's uh, advocate. Call the series devil's advocate or something. No, I actually, I should. Yeah, that'd be I should. Funny. You're right. That's a good idea. We're going to steal that. <laughs> steal it. Go with it, man. I think that's funny. So do you have a staff with you? Uh, do you have a staff or is everything you, I know you said you had two other jobs. So, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's, you're spread pretty thin. It sounds like. Well, I usually get up at like five or five thirty and work until, Somewhere between seven and nine at night. Um, and then uh, on the weekends, I don't work quite that much. I maybe only work like, you know, four or six hours a day on the weekends, but that's usually my schedule. Uh, the only person I have helping me is I have a, uh, a producer for my podcast who like, basically I record it and she does everything else. Like she edits it and, you know, uploads it to our host and all that stuff. Um, but on the YouTube side, it's all me. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to be able to delegate that. I just, I don't think that that's possible. Um, mm. But I'm always challenging that assumption because I don't want to be able to like, oh no, nobody could do what I do. Mm. Um, but I really think that might be true for me because how can anybody know what random picture to use of Earth Crisis yeah. from this one show in 1993? Yeah. How else could, how could anybody know that, you know? Yeah, it's like it could be done, but it wouldn't be done as the same quality that you want it to be. And so I, I get that. Yeah. I mean, technically, there's nothing I do that's impressive. I'm not a great video editor. It's more about just knowing what content to use. That's the hard part. The technical part would be easy to outsource, but the sort of deciding which content to use where is the part that would be, I think, impossible to outsource especially yeah. across like there might be somebody who could do one video. Like maybe there's someone who could do the earth crisis video, but that video would not, that person would not be able to do the emo rap video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's like, you could, you could find people that are like certain specialists, but then to like, you know, orchestrate that on a consistent basis would just be a nightmare. And yeah, like, then I'm a production manager and fuck that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's an interesting topic and something I wanted to d uh, dive into was, yeah. How do, or what kind of advice would you give to people that want to start a YouTube channel that are a little bit daunted by the fact that they need to be not experts in a lot of different things, but, um, they need to know a lot of different things. So, you know, graphic design, you know, marketing, you know, social mm -hmm. media, you know, f you know, video editing, you know, filming, you know, audio. It's like, how do you kind of let someone know that it's fun and not something that they should be scared of? That's hard for me to answer that question. I, I need to have a better answer for that question because mm -hmm. I, I'm not a gentle person in that regard. <laughs> um, I would just say it's work, deal with it. You know, yeah. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. I would say like, it's not for everyone. And what I would say is just jump in and do it. And if you think it's fun, keep doing it. If you don't think it's fun, then stop doing it because like it is work. But if you, if you enjoy it, I mean, there's, there's an aspect of anything that becomes work, but mm -hmm. you know, that's part of the deal. Like, I mean, people that play, you know, pro football, love playing football. They probably don't love all the workouts. They probably don't love doing mm -hmm. sprints, you know, but that's part of the deal. Um, and if you enjoy it, you will keep doing it. If you don't enjoy it, you might decide like, you know what, this actually kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> this is, this happens a lot is people like, it seems like it'll be fun. And then they get into it and realize that it's actually much more grind than they thought, especially because yep. I mean, you know how it is. Like I, I can't take a week off. Mm. 
you know, I, I, I can't. And I mean, some people could choose to, but you know, you're, if you really want to take it seriously, you, you can't take time off. You have to stay on the grind. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but don't let that scare you because it won't feel like a grind if you enjoy it. So I would say just get in there, start making stuff. And if you enjoy it, then you will keep doing it. And if you don't, you'll quit and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with trying something and deciding it's not for you. Like I did the skateboarding. I thought skateboarding was really cool. I still think skateboarding is cool, but I realized that I didn't enjoy it as much as other people do because, you know, especially the falling part I was like, "Mm, I'm not as, uh, (laughs) I'm not as willing to fall as these other people are. And if I'm not willing to fall, then I'm never going to be good at this. Yeah. Because that's part of the deal in the same way as that, like, I don't enjoy editing videos actually. Mm -hmm. But I enjoy releasing videos and I don't get, and I enjoy talking in the comments with people and I don't get to release the video unless I do the editing part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always, I've had so many conversations with people that, you know, I, every person I know that's a really good editor now, I had to have that tough conversation with them of like, you know, you're really good at editing videos, right? You know that like this needs to be your profession, right? And they're always like, oh man, I want to direct oh man, I want to direct. And it's like, now they're video editors. And I'm like, well, it's because you know that you're freaking good at video editing. And as much as it sucks, if you're good at it, I mean, it pays well, you know? I mean, that's a tough call for people to make. And, you know, there's, I've had to make that call several times in my career. Um, Once is, so I did graphic design for, you know, about 10 years. Uh, and I wouldn't say I'm the best in the world at it, but I'm definitely above average. I would say I'm at the high end of, you know, um, normal or the low end of really good. Um, and, uh, but I, I stopped enjoying it and I had to make that call of, do I keep doing this thing that I don't really love doing, but I'm pretty good at it. And I could certainly keep doing this forever. Or do I, you know, pivot and go into what I realized I'm actually passionate about, which is marketing. Mm. Cause every time you make that pivot, you, you aren't necessarily starting over from scratch, but you're certainly, um, you're certainly starting over at an earlier place on the path than you were at the other thing. Yeah. And so you really do need to be careful about, um, making that choice because the, the problem is you might find there's a thing, you know, it's like the grass is always greener. You might find you gave up thing a to switch to thing B and then you're like, Oh shit, I don't like thing B either. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, well, maybe then the problem is you, maybe you don't like anything <laughs> because you're always finding a way to look at the glasses half, half empty. And you're always, you know, you think that there's some mythical job out there that's going to be fun all the time and that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so on the other hand, you don't want to become complacent and be like, yeah, I hate this, but whatever, it's a job and stay stuck in some job you hate forever just because you're good at it. And I don't think there's any one answer for that for anybody. I think you just have to ask yourself if you're going to make this switch to something else, what, what do you believe? like, why do you think that will be successful? And it has to be more than just because I like it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so with like marketing, I asked myself, like, why do I believe that, that I can do this? And because I, I realized like I got along really well with all the marketers I worked with, like I got positive feedback from them, the way that the solutions, like when we would talk about something, 
the solution that I thought was a good idea was the same one that they thought was a good idea. You know, I, I realized like, okay, I think I have a natural aptitude for this. Um, and so that kind of led me to believe, and I, and I worked with a lot of them and I was like, well, I'm this, there's nothing that she's doing that I couldn't do. Um, so I took the risk and for me, it totally worked out. Uh, but I think that's a big one, especially for creatives. It's a big challenge for a lot of creatives. They don't want to focus on one thing. They want to be like, oh, I'm a editor and a graphic designer and a musician and I manage bands and I promote shows, you know, and I also want to, I have this idea for an app that connects artists with their audiences. And it's like, dude, getting really good at any one of those things is hard as fuck. Yep. There are zero people on the planet who are capable of being good at all of those things. Unless you are the second fucking coming of fucking Elon Musk. Yeah. I was about that was the only person I could think of. (laughs) And if you are great, then you should, then you're smart enough to know that you should tell me to shut the fuck up. And if you are the next Elon, then I stand corrected. But for the rest of us mortals, I would say get really good at one thing before you even consider switching to the other thing. Yeah. Where, where would you say smaller, uh, YouTube channels, um, should, and, and that's not, not including you. That's, I wouldn't consider your YouTube channel small. I'm saying like me or like, you know, under, under a hundred thousand. Um, I would say, where would you say that people under a hundred thousand subscribers should direct their efforts, um, in terms of marketing since you are great at marketing and you've proven that. I don't actually think that marketing per se plays a role in YouTube, uh, in the same way as it would if you have a product to sell because YouTube does the marketing for you. If the goal of marketing is to get your product in front of people who would like to buy it, which in this case is watch your videos. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube does that for you via the recommendation engine. Mm -hmm. You know, they have whatever, 2 billion users now. And if you get plugged. You, I'm sure you've seen this happen. Like you were talking about with some of your drum videos, like you get plugged into that recommendation engine and you see your numbers go. Yeah. You're like, Whoa, that was yep. cool. How do I do that again? <laughs> Just make the same content, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So t- to me for YouTube, it's about, um, what can you do that is going to get you plugged into that recommendation engine? Because that recommendation engine is going to think that's going to blow your channel up. Mm-hmm. You get hooked into that and that's the ticket. And I think, you really only need that to happen. It's that one first time. Once it happens the first time, now you're off to the races. As long as you can kind of repeat that at least somewhat. Mm -hmm. Because some people can't, you know, you see some videos, like it'll have 3 million views. And then you look in the channel, it's like 1200 subscribers. Mm. Yeah, they just hit it once. Yeah, and they didn't, there's something that they did wrong. Like oftentimes it's like, they didn't do a good job of explaining here's what this channel is and here's what it's about. And here's why you, why you should subscribe. It's just like th- they just hosted a video basically rather yeah. than making a channel piece of content on a channel. Okay. Um, so what I would say for a smaller channel is like, how do you get plugged into that recommendation engine? And usually that is going to be the topic. That's the most important thing. I think the second most important thing is the title. And the third and most important thing is the thumbnail in my opinion. Mm. Because if you have a shitty topic, the best thumbnail and title in the world won't matter. Like if you made, for example, in the world of music, like making videos about bass is really hard to get anybody to care because people just don't care about bass. Yeah, in this scene, yeah. Which is dumb because bass actually matters way more than people think. 
but it just is what it is. So if you were making music videos about like, you know, gear shit, you should do guitar stuff. Cause you know, guitar drums, those are the two things people care about. They don't care about vocal mics. They don't care about bass. They care about, and even within the world of guitars, they care about guitars and they care about amp heads mm-hmm. more than anything else. They don't care about cabinets. They don't care about strings, even though strings and cabinets make a massive difference, probably more than the guitar itself. So you have to understand like, what do people care about is the, the, the main, like I said before, how do you create an emotional reaction? And the first step to that is like understanding what your audience cares about and you don't get to choose that. And it may not be the same things you care about. Mm-hmm. Um, like behind you, for example, you have some pro wrestling posters here, like the rock and the undertaker. Yeah. Um, I don't know that much about wrestling, but I know there's hundreds of other wrestlers Yeah. and I will be, I'd be willing to bet you that you could make a brilliant video about some unknown fucking small fry wrestler. Nobody would watch it. Yeah. You make a half-assed video about the rock and way more people are going to watch that video, even if it's not great. Yeah, it's true. So for a small channel, I would say, I don't, I wouldn't say you have to pander isn't the right word, but you need to understand what people care about and give them what they want. Mm -hmm. So if you have a wrestling channel, make videos about the rock and the undertaker and fucking Kurt Angle or whoever else, I don't know who people care about, but like for me, like I made a video about bringing me the horizon and that was one of the things that was like a big kind of, um, growth point of growth for my channel because people care about bringing the horizon. Yeah. Uh, and then, so the topic is super important and then the title and, and, and sort of the specific angle on that topic is important. So for the rock, here's the framework that I use for a lot of my videos is like, what do they care about? What is an existing belief that they have about this thing? And then decide whether to challenge or validate that. Mm. For example, tell me what people, I I don't know. What do wrestling fans think about the rock? What are their beliefs about him? he is the most charismatic wrestler in history. Okay. And that's like kind of why he blew up. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he was, a, he's a great actor first, first and foremost. And I think that took him far in wrestling because wrestling's mostly a facade, you know, it's, it's mostly story story driven. So he was the most convincing character to drive this story of being the people's champ and representing the people and being the most charismatic and the best wrestler ever. He was convincing, you know? So you, you could make a video called like, you know, the rock is a terrible actor. Here's why, or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Just people would be so pissed. Yeah. And, and you don't, and there's a technique that I use called anti-clickbait. My Ronnie Radke video is a good example of this. I called that video. We need to talk about Ronnie Radke period. And in the thumbnail, there's like angry emojis. And I purposely used the most irritating picture of Ronnie I could find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I know there's a lot of people that don't like him. Yeah. And I wanted his fans to think that I was either going to talk shit about him or the people that don't like him, you know? And so for his fans, that was going to challenge their belief. Like, Oh, this guy's going to talk shit on Ronnie. I have to watch this video to defend him mm-hmm. or to people that hate him. They're like, Oh, I hate this guy. I can't wait to watch this guy tear Ronnie down. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> And that's just the game you have to play. And I don't mean to sound manipulative. It's just, that's the game you have to play Mm -hmm. to get attention on YouTube. So that's what you need to find for your channel. So again, I don't know enough about wrestling. I don't know if that's exactly the right angle for a video about the rock, but you know, and maybe in the video you say like, he's not a great actor, but actually acting isn't what's important. It's charisma. 
Mm-hmm. He has, and here's what makes him really charismatic. Like he's not a great actor in the sense that, you know, um, Jennifer Lawrence or, uh, what's the fucking Harry Potter's guy's name? Danny Radcliffe. Oh yeah. Danny Radcliffe. You know, let's whatever, or Meryl Streep, you know, Meryl Streep is a great actor. The rock is not, but what he is, is, you know, a physically, um, remarkable guy with a ton of charisma. And mm-hmm. let me explain how that was actually the key to his WWE career. Not, great acting as a lot of people think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of flipping the script kind of, but also going with what people know to be true about that character. I could see that being really cool to, to watch. And so it's, yeah, that's how, that's how I would make a video about the rock, you know, as an example. Mm-hmm. And this is not the only way of getting attention. You know, you could just do something funny, but you know, I'm not, I'm not great at doing like just silly entertainment stuff. Um, so I'm not saying that the way I do things is the only approach. But if you like my approach, that's how I would do it. Yeah. One thing I always think is really interesting is um, how big Brian Starr's got with his quality, how much, you know, effort he put into things, which was pretty minimal. And, um, but he drove like six hours for some of those interviews. Oh yeah. I mean, the dude had dedication. So his production was trash, Yeah, but that was also at a time when production in general wasn't as good as it is now. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to him. Not that I'm like some fucking defender of Brian stars, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite fair to him to say that he wasn't, that he didn't put in the effort because he did just not on production. Cause you know, he had to chase down. It's not easy to interview all the people that he did. He had to chase them down and then physically travel. Cause I think he's from Oklahoma, right? He was from, um, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like middle nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like it's easy to like find bands to 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 interview Asking Alexandria when you live in Nebraska. Yeah. Um, so the the other thing that I think is actually relevant about him, and I don't mean to cut you off, but there's actually a there lot that's relevant uh, here. Production doesn't matter, like it, or should I say, production does not equal success. It needs to be good enough that people aren't distracted by it. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it doesn't matter. Like I don't think my production is good it's like the bare minimum, Hmm. you know, like it's jump cuts. Like, yeah, mine too. (laughs) Yeah. And like a lot of the footage I use isn't great. I don't know how to use my camera. I just set it on auto. Like I'm not good at production. I don't enjoy, I don't give a fuck about production. I just do it at the bare minimum level that nobody will complain about it beyond that. I mean, we can think of tons of, in the proof, go look at, you know, go look at your feed. There are tons of videos with, giant view counts that have pretty rough production Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of beautiful videos that have 22 views because production is sort of the easiest. A lot of people focus their energy on production and that's a mistake because nobody cares. Yeah. It's like a fake it till you make it sort of thing. I think for a lot of people like, Oh, if I make it look so elaborate, then they'll think I'm better or something, you know, but it's not true. Yeah. It's, it's content is definitely a lot more important. Yep. The only reason I say that Brian wasn't as, as dedicated as he could be was he asked a lot of the same questions about, and you know, and maybe I'll make a video tearing into him. I don't know. Cause I, <laughs> as, as an interviewer of what I did, I mean, I can't diss the guy for making people flock to his channel for yeah. seeing a different side of the artist. So that's kind of like what my intrigue of the dude is, is like he found something that everyone did at the time interviews with bands and made it different. And that's what I think made him so successful. So, you know, 
in terms of like how, you know, genius's questions could have been mixed with the non-serious things, it would have been interesting. Also, but, his- but in a way doing his like shitty fanboy interviews, cause like, I think he's a bad interviewer, no question. Like, yeah, yeah. He's a terrible interviewer by objective standards, but it's different. Yeah. It's like different. maybe if he, and you know, he like, especially you know, when he wore that like blue shirt, he just looked like such a dork yeah. and I'm not putting the guy down. I'm just like being blunt. Yeah. Like, so it's this like clearly kind of outsider kid asking these really kind of awkward, bad, weird questions. What if he, like, I would argue that that's actually a better channel. That's better content than if he was somebody, you know, who looked like he was supposed to look asking the questions he was supposed to ask mm-hmm. to all the bands he was supposed to talk to like, Oh, let's go interview fucking Baroness and talk about their new album. And like, nobody would watch it mm. because he was like a weird little scene kid doing these weird fanboy interviews. And his audience is probably 14 year olds. Yeah. And his interviews were so long. It was like everything that, you know, the culture, like the cultural narrative, like told you not to do, you know, like for me, like starting out, I was like, Oh, like no one wants to watch an interview over 15 minutes. Like no way he was doing like hour and a half long interviews, two hour long interviews sometimes yeah. like podcasts essentially. Yeah. Um, pretty interesting, but, but in an age where podcasts weren't as popular. So it's right in a way he almost accidentally fell into this uh, gold mine of, of how to, get views. It was really interesting. It's, it's still something I think about, you know, I worked for him for a little bit actually. Oh, okay. Um, for like, I mean, this was like at the end of his career, sort of during his scene hair days. Yeah, it was around then he was transitioning to scene hair days. And so he didn't have enough time to do stuff. And I was at a warp tour already. And he was, um, a friend of mine actually introduced us and, uh, he was doing like live, live sets for Brian. And okay. he was saying like, Hey, I have a guy that does interviews. So if you want to do like not hosted interviews or whatever, this guy would be great. And so Brian like was like, yeah, I like your interviews. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. So he would like go 50, 50 with me on all the revenue that his, uh, videos would make. So that was super interesting. And so for, for him looking at me, it was like, okay, this guy can bring the production quality that I want that I can't do for that other side of my audience that might want that. So I did one interview for him actually with asking Alexandria. Um, and it did crazy numbers. Like I was like, Whoa, this is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. But, um, it was super interesting. (laughs) The guy's, the guy's smart. I mean, he's, he's not, he's not an idiot. It's just, you know, there are certain flaws that I wish, you know, given that audience that I would have done differently. Totally. And, you know, for anybody listening, I'm not, again, I'm not like saying like, Oh, Brian stars is the fucking is Shakespeare, you know, (laughs) nor am I like tearing him down. I just think Mm -hmm. it's important, you know, like he clearly did something right. Like, cause he was big. Like I remember like he was on warp tour 2014, I think him and like Johnny Gilbert and whoever else, like had some YouTubers and their lines were longer than any bands. Yep. So I think there's a temptation for a lot of people to like sort of discredit or, or roll their eyes or laugh at someone like that. But I would say, well, he accomplished more than most of us have. So you don't have to like it, but I think if you're smart, you would ask why did that work and what can I learn from it? Yeah. And I think he did the smart thing with, while his YouTube channel is, you know, vacant basically at the time, you know, it's, it's, it's not really new uploads aren't going up anymore. He is, um, I think he's managing YouTubers still. So he's still making money from that. So essentially what he was doing with my digital escape, like turning like a little 
almost like a record label into like YouTubers. Yeah. I think he's still doing that just on a smaller scale, not not uh, such big stars. Because all those dudes, I mean, he it really was a record label. He put them on, then they became famous. Then he's like, I get a cut, and then they didn't like that. So it's super interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know about all the. I know there was some drama. I never cared enough yeah. to. I know pay too attention. much. I know too much. <laughs> I should make a video. You're, on it. <laughs> you're, well, somebody did. I actually just there's this oh, really? channel that started popping up in people's uh, feeds like this week. I think it's called like the Cozy Remembrance or something. Okay. There's a video that I think it's called the Rise and Fall of Brian Stars. Oh. Um, and I haven't watched it, but uh, it has like ninety thousand views. So wow. I think he he probably made it. That's I'm happy to see that sort of thing. And like, I don't, I'm not taking credit for that sort of thing by any means, but I will say that, you know, before I started talking about this stuff, there's fucking zero videos on YouTube about any of the shit I talk about, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Because these are not small bands like, Mm -hmm. and in, and so sort of by nature, any video that I made about this stuff became the definitive kind of statement on these bands. And that's not my intent. I don't think that my viewpoint is the only good one or something like, mm-hmm. I think there should be five videos about sales that each look at it from a different way. And, and you might think mine is the best and someone else might think that someone else's is the best, you know, cause they're looking at it from a different angle than I did. And, um, so I, I'm happy to see if, if I did inspire anybody and I have no idea if I did, but, um, I've sort of felt for a while, like, Oh man, I have to make a video about this or that. Cause if I don't, nobody else will, but that's less true now because Nate, the mate is another channel. That's good. He does oh, yeah. a lot, a lot of more like emo indie kind of stuff that I don't like, I don't like that stuff. So I don't know mm-hmm. as much about it, but I mean, I respect it. And I, the reason I don't talk about it is cause I, I don't think I would do a good job of it. And I don't want to do something where I'm just kind of phoning it in. Uh, and I don't think I'll do a good job. It doesn't mean I have to like it, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to not like it, uh, I want to have a really solid case for that, that I can really stand behind. And so I'm happy that he's doing that stuff. This other channel, which again, I haven't watched yet, but it seems like he's doing some cool stuff. Um, it's probably some other people I'm not thinking of, but, uh, I hope that people will start documenting and talking about this culture because like, if we don't like, it's not going to get documented anywhere, which is crazy to me given how big it is. Yeah, I think um, it's always easy to undervalue like this genre. Um, I think that's the reason why I never made stuff on it is because I was like, man, if I make my opinion piece on, you know, Seosin, you know, I'll get like 400 views or something is what I thought. So, you know, I think channels like yours um, very obviously debunk that. So it definitely has inspired me and put a thought in my brain of like, hey, man, if you have like a thought about this X artist, you know, whatever, make a video on it. You know, why not? Cause you know, at the end of the day, my true supporters will be interested at least a little bit and maybe not all of them, but someone will be interested. And then, you know, if not, who cares? The people that are interested in them will, or, you know, by the way, for anybody listening, like if I've made a video about something, like don't let that stop you from doing it. Like Mm -hmm. I like, is just my opinion. And then my opinion is no more valid than yours. And even if it's like, don't be afraid to say the exact opposite of what I think. I mean, in, like if you do like send it to me, I, I would be happy to share that stuff. Like I don't, I'm not precious about my opinion. And if, if anybody wants to make a video about why I'm wrong about this or that band, if you do a good job of it, I would love to share it. I think that's awesome. I, I, that's one thing I would like to correct is that sometimes people in my comments like, well, you just hate it when people disagree with you. No, it's great when people disagree with me, as long as they do it in a, like 
as long as they're good critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. Like I hate it. Like if someone's just like, you're wrong, man, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's not a debate. That's just you kind of blurting out a, a dumb, a, a series of dumb words that mean nothing. Yeah. Um, but if someone wanted to make, uh, 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 if someone has a legitimate point of view on why they disagree with me, I'm, I'm thrilled by that. Yeah. And you might be right. And I'd be happy to say so. Yeah. It's super interesting, man. I think that uh, the YouTube world, I think that there's definitely <clears throat> a lot more that we could dive into with the alternative scene and whatnot. Like as, as a YouTube community, like there needs to be more and, and you know, Nate, the mate, I've definitely seen that guy grow and whatnot. So I guess this is probably a good point to end off. Cause this is my last question is, um, could you give me some underrated bands in the scene that pe- that deserve more attention? And then also some underrated YouTube channels that, uh, deserve a little more attention. Uh, underrated bands. Um, gosh, I mean, I think I've talked like, I'm not that excited about very many current bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not, I mean, the people I'm excited about are more like solo artists. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think this emo rap stuff is really exciting because to me it captures the same spirit as, um, it's something new and different and inventive to me. It's the same thing as metalcore was in 2008. Yeah. I love um, it. Yeah. I think it's cool. So, I mean, that's the stuff that I'm most excited about. Um, I think a lot of mainstream rap that's happening right now is really cool and innovative too. Super weird and different. Same with pop, like all the like PC music type stuff that's happening that right now, I think is really cool. Spotify can do a better job of recommending artists for you than I can. I guess if there's one kind of band right now that I, that's sort of solidly within my channel's wheelhouse that I think is interesting is drain. I don't know if oh, you know drain, them. Yeah. yeah. They're sick. A good band. Um, yeah. So you check that out. As far as YouTube channels go, I don't really watch any music related anything. My favorite channels are um, like, I like geography now a lot. These are not small channels, but geography now is really good. Um, Psych IRL is one of my favorites. She talks about YouTubers a lot. Um, Vanessa Lau is really good. She makes videos about Instagram. Uh, I don't know. Graham Stephan is good. He talks about money, personal Mm -hmm. finance. Uh, I like the tech lead sometimes, although I don't like him as much as I used to. Shit, I feel like I should do a better job of having an answer on this. It's hard ready, when you're on the spot. Yeah, let me let me look. Let me look really quickly Scroll if you through. have a moment. No, yeah, I'll I tell you. It. Let's look at what I have on my watch later, because I have I have twenty three hundred things on my watch later. Oh um, oh, Jeremy Jeremy Parrish is great. He makes like retro okay. game videos. He used to write for IGN for a long time. You know, I still think iDubs is really good. I mean, you know recent controversy aside drew again i like a lot of the big people because they're just good i mean yeah. like drew gooden is fucking amazing yeah he's just so goddamn good at what he does and i've been trying to sort of learn from him a lot recently um there's kind of mesa man that i like a lot that does like um i guess you'd call it like anthropology and ethnography stuff okay. so like he'll go like he has a 12 minute video called like who are the inuit slash eskimos and it will be like a 12 minute like fucking blast of hardcore information, like talking about the genealogy of in, Inuit people, um, yeah. which I like a lot. Sarah Dietschy is really good. She does oh, like, yeah. um, YouTuber. Yeah. Like camera kind of stuff. Patrick H. Willems does movie stuff. I like him a lot. I don't know. I could go on forever. I, I, but I don't watch any kind of music stuff really. I just, yeah. And cause there's not much and that's goes back to our point is there needs to be more, you know? I've been balls deep in music for long enough that it's, it's like, if you work at a pizza shop, do you want to eat pizza for dinner? Like Mm -mm. 
Probably not. Yeah, I'll I'll attest to that. I did work at a pizza shop, and there you I go. Do not like pizza that much. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, well, all right. Well, I just want to wrap this up, at least the podcast portion. I'm sure we'll have a little combo after a little recap, but um, guys, I just want to thank you so much for listening. Finn, thank you so much for being on the Kime Interviews podcast. And I hope you guys learn and take away a lot of information in terms of YouTube and just working in the music scene in general. So um, thanks for being here, man. Thanks so much for thinking of me. All right, guys. Kime Interviews signing out. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>